no, I am not Seth Jones. What you have in front of you today is a nervous pinch hitter. So, so for those of you who don't know me very well, let me introduce myself. Hello, my name is Rhonda, and I am a Netflix Netflixaholic. Um, yes, you heard cr- correctly, Netflix. It started simple enough. I didn't think one episode would hurt, and then two, and I began making excuses as why I needed to watch the next one. Before long, I downloaded the app on my phone. My habit was one tap away. Some of you may be able to relate. My home, like most households, is privileged to enjoy some type of entertainment like Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Disney. The list is endless, is what is available to stream. It's access to entertainment at the touch of our fingertips. And no, I don't need a 12-step program yet, but there are some things that I've noticed. First of all, growing up, I really didn't care for TV. It probably had a lot to do with my parents. If there were things to be done and we were caught watching TV, my parents hinted strongly that we might conceivably grow up to be worthless slugs. (laughs) The possibility of that happening made viewing any TV show less than enjoyable. But now, viewing has endless possibilities and no waiting until next week or sitting through something you don't like to get to your favorite. And the thought of being a lazy slug, that's starting to look better all the time. My husband and I have found that British TV is one of our favorites. After watching a series, spending hours with characters, hearing their accent, dialect, and mannerisms, I have found myself becoming one of them. On more than one occasion, while having a conversation with my husband, he has responded, that was old Lady Grantham, wasn't it? That's from Downton Abbey, by the way. Interesting that spending so much time with someone, you're able to embody their personality. You become like them. You sound like them, and you respond like them. So this brings up two obvious points. Iron sharpens iron, so who am I spending time with? If it's a gathering that likes to gossip, criticize, and complain, it isn't too long until I sound just like them. If it's a group of volunteers serving in joy at the Orange Swan, then I stand a bigger chance to grow in my patience and gratefulness. But the obvious question is, how much time do I spend with him? How much do I listen to his accent, dialect, and start to sound like him? How much of his mannerisms and personality have I picked up from his word? Have I ever responded to my husband and had him say, that was Jesus, wasn't it? Well, I can't say that that has happened yet, but I do know that because of the blood of Christ, when God sees me, he sees Jesus. I'm covered by his purity, and I have taken on Christ. And as I grow, I hope others see glimpses of Jesus being unveiled instead of just a fictional character from a temporary TV show because that's what really matters. And as we gather around this morning around the bread and the juice in his remembrance, my desire is to be addicted to one thing only, and that is to my Savior, Jesus Christ. In doing so, he must become greater and I must become less. From Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Hello, my name is Rhonda, and I want to be a Jesus-aholic. Will you pray with me? Lord, I long to resemble you in my character, my speech, and even my knee-jerk responses. Help me not only to continue to spend time with you, but to discipline myself that I might mature in obedience. Help me to draw others to want to know of your endless mercy. And help us this morning to remember the great cost that granted us that mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. 
As we enter, grateful for everything that you continually give. And we just settle into the knowledge that you are a father that cares so deeply for us. I pray as we continue through the rest of this service and that we uh, open up scripture and, and learn from, from you and change our hearts and our minds. Pray for all of that that's coming up. But right now, we take this time to lift up the things that we have going on as a family, the things that you already know that are happening. And I pray and, and seek you for comfort for those that are hurting, those that are just feeling distant from you, those that are crying out in pain because of the, the struggles of this world. We just we give them all over to you, Father. Pray for those that are running from you, the, the grace that is your name and the salvation that comes from you. We just pray that they come home, and that they see a need for you. Father, we pray all these things because we believe that you are a God that, that hears and listens and cares. We pray this in faith. We pray all of this in Christ's holy, precious name. Amen. If you'll stand for the reading of scripture. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in all that whole country, and he began to be in need. You may be seated, and uh, kids are dismissed to Children's Church. I just think it's exciting that I didn't start preaching before the children got dismissed this week. I feel like a major win has happened. Uh, we're really glad that you're here. Um, I do want to mention, I know several of you have prayed. We listed the, the request on our website this week. Um, Ed Lero had transplant surgery. Uh, his daughter, Christy, donated a kidney. Uh, Christy is home doing well. Ed is still with his brother in Kansas City. He has to stay a little close to the hospital for a little bit of time, but that went marvelously. Thank you for praying in that regard. We're, we're glad to hear that. Glad, glad that you did that for us. Um, <clears throat> do they still have in high school, do they still have plays? 
They still do that? Okay, all right. It's been a long time since I've been around, but, um, you know, plays can be interesting. They can either be um, really good or, or really bad. Uh, sometimes you, you, you look out and get a group of, of, of kids that are just amazing, and they do fantastic jobs. Sometimes it's rather uh, painful to endure, but this morning I want to imagine yourself that you're at the theater and the huge curtain is pulled in front of you, and what I want us to see is a play that plays out in Luke chapter 15. Now, some of you uh, are very familiar with this passage. You thought, oh, good, we're going to talk about the prodigal son and, and that guy that just ran away and did everything bad. This sermon is not going to be about me. I have news for you. You're going to find yourself in the thick of things before you know it. But I want you to imagine as we sit down to, to look at this story... I'm going to challenge you to look at it maybe in a way you haven't seen it before. But I want you to imagine as we sit here this morning that we find ourselves in a Middle Eastern part of the world. And things are different there. The culture is different. The way they respond in life is different than what we do. And so I, w- I want you to allow yourself to be taken back and take, transported to uh, another culture and be able to look from that perspective. And maybe you just need to ask God today, God, will you give me Holy Spirit eyes to be able to see the truth of what's happening in this text? The curtains are pulled, and as the curtains begin to rise, we find ourselves in the middle of a story that some of us feel like is very familiar to us. And it's found in Luke chapter 15, and there's, we're going to cover a little bit more ground than what I had, uh, had the scripture reader read this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please open them. If you don't have your Bibles, open your your. your uh, devices, whatever you've you've got your scriptures on, and open them to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to begin in verse 11. And I want, as we begin to read, I want you to kind of picture on the stage the first act of the play. And the first act of the play, as we're going to find in our text, is the speech. There's a speech that is going on, and we're going to take a look at that from several different angles Let's read, if you would follow with me. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, beginning in verse 11. And he said, this is Jesus. Keep in mind a little bit of a background. We've just finished, in the first part of this chapter, two other stories about something that was lost and found. Remember the story about the lost sheep? What was the story? One sheep got away. The shepherd went to find the one sheep. The next story is a story about the lost coin. They lost the coin. What happened? They went to find the lost coin. Now we come to the third story of someone who's lost. And I want you to pay attention that there's no seeking in this story. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. 
and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. First, first culture thing we come across here is Jews didn't like pigs. They didn't want to be anywhere near him. But you can tell the desperation in the story. He was feeding pigs. Verse 16, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Pretty desperate situation. And no one gave him anything. Verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, And you have to ask yourself, wouldn't take too long to come to yourself, would you, if this is the situation you're in? When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Here's the speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. If you don't understand the culture, this is another one of those things that just doesn't fit right with the story. We're going to talk about that a little bit more as we go along. He says, "Father," And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this is my son. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now what we have is... A young man, and we've heard this story a lot probably in our lives. If you grew up in church, you've heard this story. You've probably heard a lot of preachers preach about it. I've preached about it before. Uh, I've heard lots of other preachers preach about it, but it was mostly about the prodigal son. It was mostly about this young man. And the reality was, in this day and time, you didn't come to your father and say, before your father died, you didn't ask for your inheritance. And in essence, what that young man was saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have your stuff. He, want, he wanted the father's stuff, but he didn't want the father. And, and so he, he makes an appeal that would have been totally ludicrous in that day. The reality of several people that I read said, in, the reality is, if a, a young man in that day and time, keep in mind this is a parable, this is not a true story, Jesus is telling a parable, but if this had happened in that day and time, the father may well have beaten him for suggesting that he die so that he could have his stuff. That's how ridiculous this kind of request was. It was not going to be tolerated by, by an Israelite, by, by anyone in that day and age. It would not have been tolerated. He would have probably cast him out. He would have no longer had any inheritance if he'd have gone to the Father and said this. But Jesus is telling us a story 
not really about the prodigal, but he's telling us a story about the father. And what he wants us to know from this is that this really wasn't as much about the son as it was about the father. And this father said, okay, I'll take my property. And the reality is he probably would have had to sell off some of his land. He would have had to give up. And in that day and and age, land was kind of who you were. I mean, if you had properties and lands, that would be your defining thing about who you were. And so the father basically had to liquidate because he was going to give this son what he asked. He asked him for his property. The Greek word for property is actually the word bios or life. And there in the idea that he was saying, Dad, I really don't care if you're alive. I just want your stuff. I just want your stuff. So the young man gets from the father what he never should have gotten because the father was loving. And he took all of that, and we know what he did. It says he went to the far country. We don't know exactly where far country was. Probably over by long ways away. I, I, somewhere, he went to the far country, and it says he squandered everything he had. How many of you... Now, now wait a minute. How many of you adults have teenagers that squander everything they get? <laughs> I was one of those kind of guys. <laughs> My mom and dad were, where's the money you had? I I spent it, you know. And he did exactly what so many of us do. We get something and we're like, oh, it's burning a hole in my pocket. I got to go buy something. That is a problem for teenagers. And this young man had, had the same problem, except he carried it a little far. He, he had received a lot of money. It would be like receiving a large inheritance from someone who had died, and he took all of that money, and it says, we find out later in the story, he spent it on prostitutes. He spent it on trying to buy friends. He, he would throw parties, and, and you know, you're, you're out there all by yourself. You've got to have some friends. Well, how do you get friends? Well, you buy them something to eat, or you buy them something to drink, or you pay for the prostitutes. That was what this man did this young boy. And we find him in the story now in dire need. Not only is all of his money gone, all of his friends disappeared because all of his money was gone. And he found himself in such dire straits that he had to get a job. Well, it's really humbling when you've been spinning and throwing around that kind of coin, all of a sudden now you have to go work. And on top of that, he had to work feeding pigs. What an embarrassing thing for him. And he finds himself standing in the pig pen, feeding these pigs, wishing that he could have some of that to eat. And it took that long for him to realize, oh my gosh, what have I done? And I'm sure he slapped himself on the forehead. I know I would have. I'm like, good grief, how dumb can I be? Even my, my, my dad's servants, have be, they at least have bread to eat. They have meals three times a day. And, and here I am. I've wasted it. I'm better off to be a slave. And so he cooks up the story. 
and he plans the speech, and I can just imagine him every step on the way home. Okay, I'm going to tell him this. I've got, to, I've got to make sure that he knows that I feel bad. I feel terrible. I'm disappointed in myself, and, and I, I just don't want to die. And so would you please let me come home and be your servant? Then the next thing in the story that we see is something very uncharacteristic of the day. If you look there in the text, it says, the father was watching from afar off. Now, first of all, in that day and time, if a Jewish child did this and went away, dad wasn't looking for him to come back because dad was probably pretty ticked. Dad wasn't happy to, be, uh, to have him come home because he had abused his rights. Except the picture we get is Jesus... Uh, the father standing on the porch every afternoon about sundown with his hand over his eyes. And if he had binoculars, he'd have had binoculars. But looking, hoping, would my son please come home? That's part of why this story is about the father because the father that God wants to be for us is that Father that stands looking, hoping to catch sight of his child walking down the lane. And here's what happened in the story. It was totally uncharacteristic for a man in Jewish culture to do what he did. Now they wore robes. Do you think you take off running without hiking up your robes? It was actually an embarrassment. You would not be caught dead in public hiking up your robes. So here we've got a Jewish father, and he hikes up his robes, and a Jewish father never hurries to anything. Everybody always hurries to him. The Jewish father does not run to anything. And yet we see the father hiking up his robes, Running down the road, he cannot wait to get to his son. And he gets to him, and, and of course the speech that he's been practicing every step of the way starts pouring out from his mouth. Dad, I'm so sorry. I, I don't deserve to be your son. I don't, I'm not coming back wanting to be back in the family again, but could you please just let me be a servant? And his dad like, he didn't even hear a word of it. He said, servants, get the robe, get the ring, Get the shoes. We're going to party because my son who was lost has come home. My son who was lost, who was dead, is alive and he's come home. I want you to imagine what it would have been like for that young man. <clears throat> I'm sure he was confused <laughs> because he knew the culture of the day. He would have understood where his standing would have been. And the father did something completely out of character. And I think that's why Jesus tells us this story about the father. Because he was saying to you, the father that you have is not the same as the father you know. Some of you didn't have a father that was good to you. Some of you didn't have a father that loved you like you should have been loved. I want you to know the Father in this story, our Father in heaven, is not that kind of Father. He is not that kind of Father. 
He is waiting for you to come to him, and his arms are open wide. So we find ourselves with the Father turning this homecoming into a reunification of the family. It was a return to relationship. The son thought he was coming back to be a slave, but the father brought him right back into the family again. You see, grace confers sonship back on the prodigal. And so we find the curtains coming down at the end of Act 1. And we're left to ponder what was it that took place in that. And so I want you, I want you to think about what took place with the prodigal and who the father showed himself to be as the curtains come down. And that brings us to act two. You see, the first part of the story is about the speech. It's about the son, the prodigal son, and he went off and did his thing, and then he had his speech when he came back. Act two is about conflict at the feast. So we've got the, the son coming back, and dad throws a feast. We're having a party. We're killing the fat calf. We're doing, you know, everything. We're, we're putting on uh, the feast. Look to our text again, and I want us to read verse 25 through 32. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants, and he asked, What do these things mean? And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you gave, never gave me a young goat that I could have a celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice what he's, how he talks about his brother. This son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for you. This your brother was dead and now he is alive. He was lost and now he is found. We find it interesting to find this story of the older brother. And if you haven't really looked much at the older brother, you say, well, he had every right to be mad. His brother did all the wrong things. He, he was sinful. He went out and blew money on prostitutes. He, you would think, and I remember a time where I thought to myself, well, well, yeah, sure. He has every right to be angry because he was home and dad hadn't celebrated him. And I want you to see what the older brother said. He said, all these years, I have never done anything wrong. I've done everything you asked me to do, and you never had a party for me. Now, I want you to understand that this is a parable that Jesus was telling, and he was trying to get groups of people to understand who the Father was. The older brother is very much like those people in the church that 
were all about the scriptures. They were the Pharisees. They were the religious people who said, here I am, I'm doing everything you want me to do, God. And somehow, in their attitude and the way they behaved, we find that not only was the younger son lost, but so was the older son. And I wonder at times if we find ourselves in the comfort of the church building and we say, well, I'm sure thankful that I've been faithful to Christ all my life. I do whatever he tells me. And by golly, that person that's out there going through it and is falling away from God, he deserves everything he's getting. You ever talk to anybody in the church that kind of had that mentality? I have. And I think sometimes we become the older brother. And we say, wait a minute, I go to church every Sunday. I put money in the offering plate. When the mission offering is taken, I gave to the mission offering. You're telling me that I'm... And Jesus is saying, if the shoe fits, if all you care about is getting your stuff. And, and the reality is, the older son wanted dad's stuff, but he didn't want dad either. We always come down hard on the prodigal because he said, dad, I want you dead. I want your stuff. I'm going to go spend it. But the reality was, why did he get angry? Because there was a party going on. You see, when the younger son took his portion, do you know what was left? The older son's. Everything that was left in the property was belonged to the older son. And so the father, even though he was still alive, by having a party, by getting the nice ring and the shoes and the robe, that was coming out of the older son's pocket because that was his inheritance. And it cost him something. And he didn't like the fact that his brother was getting some of his stuff. And you see, the older brother, all he really wanted was the father's stuff as well. And he didn't really want the father. He wanted the father's stuff. And he didn't want the father. There were two sons. There was one good. And there was one bad. Both of them were alienated from the father. So don't get high and mighty on you because you've always been to church maybe that you find yourself maybe a little bit self-righteous in that older brother spot. Maybe you think you deserve something from God that you're not getting, and maybe you're holding out part of your heart because of that. The reality is both sons were lost. Both sons were lost. Both of them were using the father to get what they wanted, what they loved, wealth and status. They both used the father. The lover of prostitutes was saved, and the good person was lost. The truth is, whether you're the older brother or the younger brother, both of them needed to come home. In the story, we see the younger brother come home. And we see the response that the father gives the younger brother. He runs to him with open arms puts his arms around him, throws a party because who was lost is now found. 
And the reality of the story is the prodigal son takes a higher standing in the story than the older brother does because he came home. He recognized that even though I have nothing, I'm better off at home, and he came home to the father. As the curtains slowly close on Act 2, we find out that there's a little more to the story than just the speech. There's more to the story. There's conflict. As we raise the curtain on Act 3, I want us to ask the question, how do we come home? Because whether you know it or not, we need to find ourselves in this story. How do we come home? If I've been the prodigal, if I've been the one who has wandered away from God and squandered things that He's given me, how do I come home from that? And if I'm the older brother that's sitting in my self-righteousness, placing judgment on others, how do I come home from that? Because if we don't know how to come home, this is a pointless time for us this morning to look at that. I mean, it's no point. There's no point. There's three things that have to take place. The first one is this. We need the initiating love of the Father. We need the initiating love of the Father. You see, in the story, when the prodigal came home, what happened? The Father initiated the love, didn't he? He ran to meet him and said, all is forgiven. You're back. You're safe. I love you. I want you back in the family. He initiated that relationship. Now, I want you to see in the second half of the story, when the brother was out pouting and mad in the barn, what happened? Father went to him and said, won't you come in and, and enjoy this? Don't you realize your brother was dead and he's alive? You see, in both of those parties, the initiating love of the father was what made the difference. Now, we don't really know from the story. It's a parable. We don't know what happened to older brother. We don't know if he finally came to his senses and came in and said, okay, dad, you're right. I, I want to be part of the celebration. We don't know. And that leaves it open for us because if we find ourselves in that spot, the end is determined by us. We determine whether or not we return to the Father's open arms. So the first thing we need is that initiating love. You have that today. Jesus, I, I loved that song we sang for communion. His arms, his arms are open wide. And they're just pleading, would you come and let me wrap you up in my love? The Father is here today and he wants to say to you, I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you were high last night. If you're here this morning and you hear my voice, I want you to run to my open arms. That's the Father, and His love is initiated toward you. It is there for you. The second thing that we need to come home is we need to learn to repent of something other than our sins. Some of you may be scratching your head on that one. Wait a minute. 
repent of something other than my sins. I thought my sins were the only thing I needed to repent of. Sometimes in our righteousness, our righteousness becomes sin. And maybe today, in order for you to come back, and see, this is what the older brother needed. He needed to repent of his self-righteousness. All he could say was, I did it all right. I was in Sunday school every week. I gave a dollar in the offering in Sunday school. I was in church every week. I even went and got donuts um, on when it was my turn. I did all this good stuff. And, and I shouldn't have to repent of anything. I did everything right. It's difficult to come to the understanding of the fact that it may be true of you. It's not easy to admit, to say, yeah, I suffer from a little self-righteousness. I'm a little hard on people who can't get over the drug addiction or can't get over their addiction to pornography. I can't get over. It's like, well, why don't they just quit it? Have you ever heard people talk to someone about smoking? Why don't you just quit? Well, it's not as easy as that. And sometimes in our self-righteousness, we need to repent of that. Whether it's sin or whether it's self-righteousness, in order to come home, repentance has to take place. Repentance is just a simple procedure that says, I'm going this way. I need to change my direction. I'm going to go this way now. I'm living in a self-righteous mentality where I think I'm better than everyone else and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to realize I am a wretched sinner and no one is less than anyone except me. I am less than everyone. The third thing that we need to do is to be melted and moved at what it costs to bring us home. We talked about the cost and what they wanted was the father's wealth and you see the older brother it cost him to have his brother come home because everything else that was left was his the father was dipping into his inheritance to bring the younger son home we have to know what it cost for you was God gave his only son. And he sent him to earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for you. And I don't mean that you as in y'all. I mean you and you and you and you and you and you and every single one of us he gave the cost. He paid the price. Remember I mentioned the three parables earlier in the two parables that went before this told the story of the lost sheep and, and in that story the shepherd did not quit until the lost sheep was found. He kept going. He left the 99 and said hopefully they'll just Stay together like stupid sheep that they are and not wander off. I've got to go find the one that's lost. And he went and found 
and returned the sheep back to the fold. Then the story of the lost coin. Poor woman lost a coin in her home and she tore the house upside down. She searched and searched and searched until she found that coin, but that coin was her life and so she never gave up until she found the coin. In the story of the prodigal son, nobody searched for the prodigal. The truth is, the responsibility should have been with the older son. The older son should have said, Dad, I know my brother was a knucklehead. He didn't really know what he was doing. He's stupid. He's lost, though, and I'm going to go find him, and I'm going to bring him back. That's what the older son should have done. Someone should have sought after that what was lost and brought it home. And we have to understand that if we're in that older brother picture today, it is our job to go find those prodigals. The whole thing that God calls us to is a, a calling to uh, discipling and evangelizing other people. You realize that that is a dirty process. That's a messy process. When you decide to evangelize someone who has fought through all sorts of struggle and, and disciple them in their life, I guarantee you better have your rubber boots on. It's going to get messy. Because there's a whole lot of stuff going on in their life and you have to join in with them. We need to become that older brother who's willing to say, I'm going to go find the lost brother and I'll bring him home. Maybe you're in that younger brother stage. Maybe you've been running from God for a long time. Maybe you do whatever you want. And maybe you still come to church on Sunday, but you still do whatever you want Monday through Saturday. Maybe you're uh, having uh, you know, uh, affairs or relationships outside of marriage. Maybe you're struggling with alcohol addiction. Maybe you're struggling with pornography addiction. Maybe you're struggling and you're still wandering. I want you to know that today is the invitation for you to come home to Jesus. He's, he's here and he says, I don't care. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than this. He knew his son had spent money on prostitutes and he said, I don't care. I want you to come home. And this morning, maybe you find yourself as the older brother. Maybe you're one of those ones who has actually been the older brother, but you've decided, I'm going to go do what I can to retrieve the younger brothers. I'm going to do what I can to reach into the, to the pit and pull somebody out. This morning, as the play concludes and as the curtain falls we have to ask ourselves who am I I want the band to come up and begin and we're going to sing a hymn a song this morning an invitation song and, and I want you to know that if you're the younger brother and you've been running and there's sin in your life that you haven't gotten rid of and you need to do that, I want to invite you. And Jesus is standing here with his arms open and he wants you to come to him and give that up. If you're the older brother and you somehow found yourself to be better 
than that person that's still out there carousing and being wild, then this morning I want to call you to repent. I want to ask you to give that up and and change that in your life. As we sing our song this morning, if you need to make a decision, don't put it off. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and says, that's you, that's you, that's me, would you respond to the Holy Spirit and come and give that over to God this morning? Let's stand together.